Thank you so much for checking out our podcast. We hope today's message encourages, inspires, and empowers you to follow after Jesus like never before. Before we get into today's teaching, I want to invite you to join us live at one of our services at any of our three campuses in West Virginia, or join us as we stream live online. For more information or to save your seat at one of our services, visit our website, iheartchurch.online. Now let's check out today's message. We're going to start a series called Our Father and talking about the type of relationship that God wants to have for us. And and I'm going to give you a little bit of homework because I'm going to refer to a sermon that was actually preached here on January the 1st, 2020. Uh, Brother Pat Hayes came. He was one of our Bible college professors that was here. And uh, he came and spoke on a Wednesday night. And I feel like this message was a message that is so crucial, especially as we have been talking through different lies that we have believed and, and, and uh, how it hinders our relationship with God and everything. There's so many of them that go back to a wrong view of who God is and a wrong view of the relationship that God desires uh, to have with us and, and everything. And, and so this message, I think, was amazing. And I'm going to give you the Cliff Notes version of the message, and then I'm going to ask you to go back on the app or online and listen to the message because I think it's crucial and very important. Even if you were here, I think it's a message that you need to hear again because there's such uh, uh, wisdom and things that God just really challenged. But basically, he talked about how there's a lot of times we view God in one of three seats. One of the first seats that we see God as is we see God as our judge. And he talked about the big iron throne and how so many people see God as judge. And so they, they come in just cowered down, just, just begging for mercy, just pleading their case, always looking at God, waiting for God to bring punishment or, or chastisement or, or judgment in their life, always feeling like they don't add up to the view. They're not good enough. They realize their struggles. They realize the things that nobody else knows what's going on. And and so they view God as this harsh person ready to just bring down the gavel and bring punishment, even to the degree of when something goes wrong in their life, they just automatically think this is just God's punishment. God is just punishing me. He saw what I did last night. He heard what I said. He knows the way that I reacted. And this is just, this is just the punishment of God. This is just the, the, the thorn that I'm going to have to bear because like, I'm just lucky to even be forgiven. And it's just this kind of mentality that is there. The second chair that he talked about was the throne. How God is king. And God is judge and God is also king. But however, that's not the the view that God really desired his kids to look because if God is just king, then there's this distance. There's this inaccessibility to the king. You know, especially in the older days, in Bible days, when there was a king, there was limited accessibility to the throne. Only certain people could come before the throne. And the only people who could come before the throne, uh, they, if they would come when it wasn't their time. You remember the story of Esther? She was so afraid to go before the king because if the king didn't stretch out his scepter toward her, then she could be punished and she could die. And she had to come to the revelation, you know, if I die, I die, but, but this is something that I need to do. And so when we see God as just God is high and lifted up, then he's looking down on us and we just see ourselves as his servants, 
that, that he is our Lord and he is our master. And yes, he is our Lord and he is our master. And all of those things are true. But that's not the chair that God wants us to view him in. And then he said he pictures the third chair as a rocking chair. And this is the chair of the father who is sitting out on the front porch just wanting to fellowship with you. Like a hot summer day drinking some ice cold lemonade or sweet tea or mix it together and get you an Arnold Palmer. Just sitting on the front porch just rocking back and forth. No judgment, no fear, just love. Just concerned about what's going on in your life. You look so many times through scripture and there's overwhelming evidence that God cares about every little thing that's in our life. In Psalms, there's one verse that says that he will perfect the things that concerns you. He tells us to cast all of our cares upon him because he cares for us. It says that he counts the number of hairs that are on our head. He bottles every single tear that we have. This doesn't sound like a judge. It doesn't sound like a king. It sounds like a father. You think about this, if, if we said this, some of you fathers probably have pictures that remind you of events that took place in your kids. You may even go back and you might even have teeth that your kids lost or different things like that that are just memorabilia of things or even little pictures that they drew that are like squiggly lines and it's like horrible art and like, you know, just all this stuff. But they gave it to you for a Father's Day gift. You got a bunch of ugly ties in your closet. That you don't give away, you keep them. Why? Because your son gave you that tie. Your daughter gave you that tie. And remember that, so you see the picture of a father. Listen, even though God is our judge and God is our king, the chair and desire of relationship that he wants with us is not as our judge and as our king. He doesn't want us to be slave. He doesn't want us to be the convict who's just doing time. He doesn't want us to be in the person who's trying to just do enough to please him. He wants us to be a son or a daughter. And that's why he said now when Jesus tore the veil, and when the veil was torn from top to bottom and, and you were able to enter into the presence of God, he says in Hebrews, it says, now we can come boldly before the throne of grace and we can receive mercy in our time of need. But can I tell you something? Even from the very beginning, there's a lot of story, there's a lot of songs and a lot of things about we were created to serve God and we were created to worship God and we were created for all these things, you know, and that makes a great song that, that you were created for worship. But God created the angels for worship. He already had that. God created us for fellowship. And if you look in the garden, when he created Adam. Scripture tells us that God looked at Adam as a son. I want you to look at this in the genealogy in Luke chapter 3. This is normally that, that thing that you kind of read over real quick. If you read King James, it says, so-and-so begat, so-and-so begat, so-and-so begat, so-and-so. Or this person was the father of this person and all this stuff. Look at this. It says, the son of Enos, Enosh was the son of Seth. This is tracking genealogy of Jesus back to the beginning. The son of Adam, who was who? The son of God. 
Not the servant of God. Not the slave of God. Not the creation of God. The Holy Spirit pinned that Adam was the son of God. When Jesus taught his disciples how to pray, how did he tell them to approach that God when he, would, when he would pray? Look at this in Matthew chapter 9. He says, pray in this way. Pray our Father. Not our Master, our King, our Judge, our Lord. He said, no, 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 no. When you come to God... When you communicate with God, the way that you communicate with God is you communicate as a son or a daughter. You come before your daddy. And you say, our father who is in heaven, hallowed be your name. You see the relationship. Paul wrote about it in this way in Matthew chapter 8, he talks about the relationship, or I'm sorry, Romans chapter 8, he talks about the relationship that God desires. In verse 29, it says, For whom he foreknew, he predestined them to be conformed into the image of his Son. So he wants us to look more like him with our livelihood. We don't just get saved and then just live a crazy, wild lifestyle. He wants us to look more like his Son. But then look at this. So that they, he would be the firstborn among many brothers and sisters. So he didn't want Jesus to be his only child. He wanted Jesus to have a bunch of brothers and sisters. He wanted a big old family. He doesn't say that he predestined us to be conformed into his image so that he could have more servants. He doesn't say that he could have more slaves. He doesn't say any of these things. He says he did this so that we could understand that he, want, that he wants us to be brothers and sisters. That word predestined means this. It means that he predetermined or he pre-appointed. In other words, when he created, remember, God is not writing it out day by day, our history. The Bible says that before we even lived one day, he wrote out every day of our life in his book. The Bible even says that before the beginning of time that the Lamb of God was slain. God is writing the story moving forward. And so when it says that who me predestined and he pre-knew, he pre-appointed, it was the people that would invite him into their life. His destiny for believers was always to be brothers and sisters of Jesus, to be sons and daughters of God. Even before this earlier, in, in chapter 8, in verse 14, it says, For those who are led by the Spirit of God, they are what? That was weak. Maybe I just caught you off guard. Let me give you another chance, okay? It's on the big screen up here, y'all. See that? For those who are led by the Spirit of God, they are? It doesn't say that they're servants. It doesn't say that they're slaves. It doesn't say that they're just common folk that are forgiven, just a sinner saved by grace. Is that what it says? It says, no, they are sons and daughters of God. And then he says this, you have not received the spirit of slavery leading to fear again. 
I think many times we look at this as we have not received fear as slavery, but that is not what it's saying. It said, I didn't give you a spirit of slavery. Because slavery leads to fear. See, the reason why we can't just look at God as our master is because slaves were afraid of their masters. That's the way they kept them intact. With the whip or with the chains or with the punishment or whatever it was. Even back in in Egypt when the children of Israel were in slavery, it says they assigned taskmasters over them because they were afraid the children of Israel would grow too strong. So they wanted to oppress them first. Listen, the enemy has been doing the same trick from day one. He has tried to oppress you to get you to realize or to get you to believe that you are a slave versus being a son. He said, I didn't give you a spirit of slavery because that leads to fear again. But instead, I gave you the spirit of adoption as sons and daughters. Where we can cry out, Abba, Father, which literally means Daddy. Now here's the thing, a lot of times we see adoption and many times when people adopt people, there's some adopted parents that are in it for the right reasons, they do it all, they bring them in and you can't tell any difference in between the way they treat their kids and all of that and then there's other parents that don't do so well of a job when they adopt the children in and, and that type of a thing. But many times one of the things is some, a child who has been adopted into the family, there is always this thought of, do I belong? Pastor Q talked about it just even with step parents and stuff. Like there's this distance, even though it's not your natural flesh and blood, there's always this wonder, do they really accept me for everything? And it may not be anything that anybody ever done, but there's always in the back of their mind, And so even with adoption, sometimes we don't even look at adoption in the way that God looks at adoption. When God looks at adoption, he brings you in on equal status. It's not a Cinderella story where the stepsisters were on one level and then the stepmom was stuck with Cinderella and now Cinderella has to go clean the house and not allowed to go to the ball and everything like that. I think that's many times the way that we view being adopted into the family of God. But God didn't adopt you in to clean his house and cook his dinner. God adopted you into the family so that he could make you like, uh, like Jesus as a son and daughter. And that's why he goes on and says, The Spirit himself testifies with our spirit that we are children of God. And if we are children of God, then that means that we are heirs with God. And, and it says not only are we heirs, but we are fellow heirs with God. One translation puts it this way. We are joint heirs with Christ. In other words, everything that he had access to, we have equal access to. That we are not viewed as a lesser son or daughter, but we are viewed in the same status as Jesus is as far as being a son or daughter of God. I thought this might would excite a little bit more of you than what it is. But it's not because there's this disconnect. And the reason why, like I've read this verse, I've preached on this verse, I've quoted this verse, and and there's still, like I don't preach this message at all from a place of feeling like I have fully understand what it means to be a son of God. 
I preach this message from a place of, God, I know I've been lied to, and I know there's more. And everywhere I look in your scripture, I see son, daughter, son, daughter, son, daughter, son, daughter. And so where's the disconnect? Why is it that I feel that I'm different than Jesus in that relationship that I can have? Some of you, it's like, well, that's sacrilegious to put yourself as equal as Jesus. I didn't do it. God did. God's word said, this is the way that I view you. I, my, I predestined that you would be a brother or sister of Jesus. And then he even establishes the level of brother or sister with Jesus as saying, you're not just an heir. It's not just he gets a double portion, a triple portion, and he's the favorite child, and you're the Cinderella story thing. No, this is a joint heir equal status with God. The things that he has access to in the heavenlies and to his heavenly father, you have access to. And that's why Jesus would say things like, go cast out demons, heal the sick, raise the dead. Like, what? <laughs> you, huh? We can't, why would Jesus tell you to do something that you can't do? Do you really think, like either what I am saying is truth, or we serve a God who is a completely cruel God, who sets standards that you'll never be able to live up to, who tells you to do things that you're never, ever, 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 ever going to be able to come close to being able to do it, and then is sitting in heaven laughing at you and waiting for the day when he can destroy you and throw you into hell. Because you'll never be good enough. Now, are you ready to say, because that's the only two options here. It's either we serve a good God who commands us to do things that he knows that we can do because he's put the Spirit of God inside of us to be able to do it. And I think it's very interesting that many people are finding out that they have the power to cast out demons and all of this. I mean, some of these stories that we are hearing about what is taking place in homes and stuff are completely unreal. When somebody just takes God at his word, and when he says to do it, they do it. And they see the healings, or they see deliverances, or they see people who are hidden in their attics. Who have been squatting, doing meth for months in the attic of their business. Set free from demonic oppression. While they're praying for somebody in the bottom room. Now tell me. Tell me. So we just making this stuff up? We just no. This is this is what God's wanted all along. You're an, you're a son or daughter of God. A joint heir with Christ. This isn't the only place that He puts us. In Galatians chapter four, pull that up. He says, when the fullness of time came, God sent his son, born of a woman, under the law, that he might redeem those from being under the law so that they might receive, here it is again, the spirit of adoption as And because you are sons or because you are daughters, God sent the spirit of his son into their hearts where they, by they can cry out, Abba, Father, 
You see, in the world today, many times when we adopt a child into a home, that, that, that child many times doesn't even call the parent that adopted them father or mom or dad or anything like that. They call them by their first name. Why? Because there's still this distance in between there because they're not flesh and blood. But Jesus is saying, when I adopt you into my family, God is saying, when I adopt you into my family, I'm not adopting you in for you to call me on a first name basis. I'm not adopting you in so that you have to stand your distance from me and just be glad that I welcomed you into my home. I am adopting you into my lap to sit up in my lap and call me Abba Father, Daddy, Daddy. And so you are therefore no longer a slave, but a son. And if you are a son, then you are an heir through God. Sometimes in the world, adoption even kind of has a negative connotation. The way that people... It's one of the things Evan talked about in Israel when they had started their adoption ministry and stuff that sometimes adoption is just kind of looked down upon and, you know, that type of thing. And I'm going to tell you this. If you are adopted or you, you are adopting kids or something, there's nothing near and dearer to the heart of God than that because God was the first adoptive parent. That is one of the greatest ways that you can be like Christ is to bring somebody into your home and treat them like your child. Treat them as a son or a daughter, no differently. But here's the thing about adoption. The person who is adopting someone has to choose to adopt them. They're not stuck with them. You see, my parents, when I was born, they were stuck with me. And whether they wanted me or not, here I am. And you're stuck with me. You've got to raise me. You've got to take care of me. Whether I do the right thing or not, I'm your son. And there's many times that we sing songs or talk about how we found Jesus. We found Jesus. We found Jesus. Can I tell you something? That is completely theologically incorrect. Because we didn't find Jesus. Jesus pursued us. He left heaven to come get us. He suffered on a cross to take our punishment so that we didn't have to. So that he could get us back in relationship with him. And at the Last Supper, Jesus is talking with his disciples in John 15, 16. He says, listen, guys, you didn't choose me. I chose you. I chose you. Bethany, God chose you. Jimmy, God chose you. Levi, God chose you. Mike, God chose you. 
Dell, he chose you. He didn't say, now perform for me, little puppet. Let's see if you can do enough tricks to make me want you in my home. He said, I'll come find you in the filth where you are. And I'll bring you into my home. I'll pay the price for you. Because I chose you. And he didn't just choose us so that we could go to heaven. He said, I chose you and I appointed you that you would go and you would bear fruit. And that your fruit would remain. Look at this. And if you need anything along the way, How many of us don't do something for God because we're afraid we're not good enough, we don't have enough, we won't be enough? And here's, I chose you, I appointed you, and if you need anything, whatever you ask of the Father, not, not of the King, are you getting this? Not of the master, not of the great judge, not of the almighty God. Sometimes we make God so big that we forget that we can be close to him. But then in the same way, we make him so big that we can't be close to him, but we also make him so small that he doesn't want to be bothered by us. Like, just like, God couldn't really care enough about me worry about what's going on with me he said whatever you ask in the name of the father he would give it to you I've called you to bear fruit I chose you. I called you. I gifted you. I've empowered you. Now I just want you to be about the Father's business. Go tell other people about how good your Father's been to you. Go tell other people about how you were a drug addict, or you were drunk, or you were a prostitute, or you were stuck in sin, or you were living together and you're unmarried, you were unworthy, you were and yet he loved you. And yet he pursued you. And he didn't give up on you. He knew what he was getting. And he appointed you. But there's still so many of us that we see ourselves as spiritual orphans. Like we see all the things that God is doing and we feel like we're the ones sitting on the outside looking in. And we long to be at the Father's table. We long to be among the happy family that's enjoying and seeing the blessings and everything. But when we look at ourselves, we still have an orphan mentality. There's no way that God would want me. I've got too much mess, too filthy, I'm too dirty.
But Paul wrote in Romans chapter 5, pull up Romans 5 for me. He said, while we were in that place of helplessness, at the right time, Christ died for us. He died, notice this, he died for the ungodly. Some of us act like we've got to clean ourselves up first before we receive the love of God and forgiveness of God. But here he said, he died for you in your filthy state. For one will hardly die for a righteous person, though perhaps a good person, someone would even dare to die. But God demonstrates his own love toward us in that while we were still sinners. And can I tell you, like, this doesn't even just mean while we were still unsaved. Can I, can I ask you a question? Can everybody... Put your halo down for just one second. How many of you have sinned since you've been saved? Why? Because we still have flesh. We still have slave mentality inside of us from being a slave to sin for so long that many people still act like they did before because they don't have the, they're still walking in slavery versus sonship. This is why it's so important. If you want to break off some of the struggle of sin, you've got to be, stop looking at yourself as a slave and you've got to begin to look at yourself as a son. Because if you realize that you're a son of God who has been chosen and appointed to bear fruit and invited into the family and accepted in the helpless, messed up condition that you were or you may currently be in, It makes a difference. It says Christ died for us much more than now having we've been justified by his blood, we shall be saved from the wrath of God. For if we were enemies, if while we were enemies, we were reconciled to God through the death of his son, much more having been reconciled, we shall be saved by his life. And not only this, but we can celebrate in God through Christ Jesus, through uh, whom we have now received reconciliation. That word reconciled means this. It means to be brought back into favor. Now I want to go kind of big picture here because I, none of us from the minute we were birthed were in perfect favor with God because we were all born into sin and had flesh and everything. We all, all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. All of us need a savior. Yes, there is a, thing of age of accountability and all that stuff. I'm not saying all that stuff. But when you were saved, no matter how much your mama thought you were a perfect angel, you had some heathen in you. And you inherited it from your parents. I'm just letting you know. So big picture, when was man in favor with God? And you've got to go all the way back to Adam. Adam in the garden, created as a son, ruled and reigned with God in full, everything that was on the earth, Adam had dominion over. And God would walk among him in relationship. See that thing over there? What's that? That's a tiger. 
puts him down for a nap, wakes up. What's this? Whoa, man. A bad pastor joke. Had to try it. Listen, Adam was an heir. Some of you are just getting it. What was he talking about? I got Whoa, man, woman. Adam wasn't God's servant in the garden. Remember, he was the son of God. That's the way that God, he was an heir with God. He was ruling and reigning. God had given him all dominion over the earth. All control over the earth. And God brings him back to the place when Christ came to bring us back into the place where we could once again be looked at the same as what Adam was to where he took the keys to death, hell, and a grave. He took all authority back on this earth and then is looking for sons and daughters who will receive his love so that he can empower them and equip them to rule and reign on this earth. To impact and change this earth. God wasn't creating more Workers, he wasn't creating more slaves, he wasn't creating all these, he was creating sons and daughters. And in Luke 15, I'll give you another homework assignment. Read Luke 15 because we're going to go there next week. Luke 15, you see the story of the prodigal son. And when the prodigal ran and he came back, the son said, I'm going to come back as a slave. And the father wouldn't even hear of it. The minute he came back, he was like, no, 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 no. Get a ring for his finger. Go get the best robe, which was his robe. And he wrapped him with his robe. And they celebrated. Because his son, you remember how he describes it to the other brother? My son that was once lost, is now found. I'm going to say a statement that may kind of shock you a little bit. And when it hit me, I had to think about it if this was heresy or not. Jesus became an orphan so that we could become a son or a daughter. Hold on, wait. I can see the look, Jeremy. I see it, man. Like, Jesus, an orphan, what do you mean? When he went to the cross, Isaiah talks about how he bore our grief, he bore our sorrow. We know he bore our sins, right? But there was a period of time when Jesus bore our orphanhood. Matthew 27, verse 46. In the ninth hour, Jesus cried out with a loud voice. And he said, Eli, Eli, lama sabachthani. Which is, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Okay, 
Jesus always prayed to God as my Father. Right? He told us to pray as our Father. Everywhere you talk to him, I can only say what the Father says. I'm doing what the Father's business. I'm being about the Father, the Father, the Father, the Father, the Father. Why is Jesus not saying the Father in this moment? Why is he just saying, my God? Because this was the very first time that Jesus had felt a disconnect from his Father. He didn't feel like a son anymore because he had our guilt, he had our shame, he had all of our mess on side of us. And all he could see God as was an angry God, a king who is punishing him for our sin. Why have you forsaken me? That word forsaken means why have you totally abandoned me? Why have you left me behind? Why did you make me helpless? Wait a minute, we heard that helpless word before. Romans 5, 6. While we were still helpless. Jesus became an orphan so that you could be a son. Jesus... became an orphan so that you could be a daughter. You don't have to feel the distance from God like you've been helpless and you're forsaken and you're forgotten and you're neglected anymore because Jesus was felt forsaken and forgotten and helpless and far from the Father. In the same way that we can look to the cross for forgiveness of our sin, the same way we can look to the cross for healing from our grief and sorrows, we can look to the cross for one of the greatest things that has hindered us in our relationship from God. Our orphan spirit was nailed to the cross where we don't have to be those kids who just wish that their father would love them and accept them and, and that they feel like they always have to perform for them. But we can understand it's all been paid for for us to have complete and total freedom and be sons and daughters. Everything has been paid the price for for us to be back in a position where we're in the garden with God as a son walking in authority on this earth. You haven't received the spirit of slavery. Worship him, you can come on up. Because slavery leads to fear. But John wrote in first John chapter four, I think it's verse eighteen. This one's not on the screen, so you can write it on your notes. John said, God's perfect love casts out all fear. The perfect love that was demonstrated at the cross. Was so that we could be fearless in the presence of a holy God. Because although he is holy, and he is Lord, and he is master, and he is king, and he is judge... He's still your daddy. I've said it before. 
Like there's certain levels of respect and different things that we have sometimes. Like during worship, and it seems like every time I'm talking about a moment like this, something happens with one of my kids. During worship, I felt something poke me in the back. And the next thing you know, I have something on my back. My little girl just jumped up on my back for a piggyback ride with her daddy. What she didn't realize is daddy's getting ready to go preach. Like it was right at the end of worship. Like I had to turn around. I was like, baby, I love you, but I got to put you down and then walk up. Why did she do that? Because I may be pastor. I may be whatever up here. But to her, I'm just daddy. It doesn't matter what my title is. And that's the relationship that God truly wants. Although he is king and he is almighty and he is a righteous judge and he is our Lord and our master and all of those things. He just wants you to crawl up in his lap and say, Daddy, this hurts. Daddy, I can't deal with this anymore. Daddy, I don't understand. Why did this, I don't. And this morning, that's what we have is a father who just wants to connect with his children, not his servants. Not his servants. This isn't about what you can do for him. Not his performers. This isn't about, when you're up here leading worship, this isn't about how good you sing and how good you play and everything. This is, God, God isn't impressed by any of the things we do up here. He's heard the best singers, the best musicians, everything like that. All this is, is our opportunity to say, you know what? I'm going to be about the Father's business. And I want to help lead other people to my daddy's feet so that they can experience his presence the way that I have. I have some pretty crazy looking drawings from all of my kids. No Picassos or Van Goghs or anything like that. But I don't look at him and be like, he spelled that word wrong. You did your B backwards. I take that thing and I cherish it because it was a gift for my child. Can I tell you? God just wants you to bring all the mess. It doesn't, it doesn't have to be pretty. It doesn't have to be polished. It doesn't have to even look good. I remember one year my kid wrapped up one of my shoes. <laughs> I go, oh, gee, thanks. You gave me my shoe. You couldn't at least give me two of my shoes? <laughs> you know where the other one is? didn't matter because that was my child thanks again for listening to hear more messages like this one be sure to subscribe and check out our podcast channel for past messages 
If you like what you're hearing, please rate and share. For more content, to connect with us, or if you'd like to support this ministry by giving, visit our website, iHeartChurch.online. We love you and have a great day.